This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of my podcast this week is Dr. Tom Hesseltine, CEO of Aurora AI. Solving problems. It's coming up with an idea, testing a hypothesis, creating a system that puts that into practice and then particularly seeing it being used and doing good. That's what really drives me. I want to see good ideas being used to solve really challenging problems. It's to make artificial intelligence accessible to any business. AI needs no introduction these days. It really is fantastically powerful, but it's difficult to get right. It's expensive and it requires real expertise. I think a lot of people are trying it and failing. And what we're trying to do is provide application-specific AIs that designed for a business built to specific precise requirements by a team of experts and seeing that right through to deployment. And we're trying to do that for companies that, that are otherwise missing out. This is Tom. He's been with Aurora for over 15 years, becoming the CEO in 2016 and guiding Aurora's transition from a face recognition-centric company to a successful AI specialist. He has a deep technical background and mentors and tutors Aurora's core technology team of PhDs in solving the most difficult challenges. He has a PhD in biometric face recognition from the University of York in the UK, following his first-class honors degree in computer science. Tom introduced deep learning and AI to Aurora's technology portfolio, establishing Aurora's AI framework and instigating a step change in face recognition accuracy. And this evolution is now creating a revolution in how some of the most complex and specific challenges are solved in record time. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Tom to my podcast. We explore why the accessibility to AI is still so limited and why the results are often so far from what's expected. We discuss the options to address this and how this is both a technological as well as a business problem. Finally, we discuss Tom's point of view and experience to create a remarkable software business. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, how you can accelerate adoption of your software products by going beyond the feature function challenge. Secondly, how by bringing different disciplines together, you can crack the formula to produce something exceptional. Thirdly, 
that being remarkable starts with having courage. Courage to adopt and change. Step into the unknown and get out of your comfort zone. And fourthly, that solving a narrow and highly specific problem will be the key to create broad-scale momentum. Well, hi Thomas. Thank you for being on my podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very delighted to be here. Yeah, I mean, I got introduced by someone that I met on Lunch Club, just to promote that platform a little bit again, John Michaelis. And he was talking highly about, well, first of all, your company and later on about you. And so that's why I well, dove into your website, oh. figured out what you were doing. And yeah, it triggered me and I invited you. That's I've how- known John for a long time. He's, uh, he, he was, he was one, one of our shareholders. And yeah, he's a great guy. And uh, thanks very much to John for uh, the introduction. Okay. So before we start talking about Aurora AI, a little bit about you first. If you were to have to describe yourself in two or three words as an entrepreneur, what words would you use? Oh, gosh, two or three. Computer scientist engineer, perhaps. Uh, I guess that sums me up, which might be unusual for a CEO, but I primarily see myself as bridging that gap between science and engineering. I think that's the, the key thing. Yeah, I've seen that you, in the first part of your career at Aurora, you were head of engineering and later yes. on became the CEO of the company. So that's an interesting evolution. Hmm. So congratulations on that. So Yes, it's not the yeah. usual path, I suppose. But yeah, talk about it. Like, What's your passion? What, what drives you? And, and what's kind of led to that, well, that promotion to CEO at the end? I think for me, it's about solving problems. It's coming up with an idea, testing a hypothesis, creating a system that puts that into practice, and then particularly seeing it being used and doing good. That's what really drives me. That's what I want to see. I want to see good ideas being used to solve really challenging problems. That's why I like computer science so much. You know, it's one of the few disciplines that is between science and engineering. There's very few things where, you know, you can have an idea in the morning in the shower, test it out before lunchtime, implement a system in the evening, and then, you know, next day, You've got it deployed and running somewhere. There's, there's very few scientific disciplines where you can do something so rapidly. And that's what I love about computer science and putting ideas into practice. Well, I think your company has a whole lot of those ideas implemented in an interesting way. Mm. So talking about your company, Aurora AI, what's the big idea behind it? If you sum it up in one, one line, I suppose it's to, it's to make artificial intelligence accessible to any business. That's what uh-huh. we're trying to do. AI needs no introduction these days uh, and the, the revolution in deep learning is just, it's a huge disruptive force at the moment. It's been described as a, the next wave of the industrial revolution. It really is fantastically powerful, but it's difficult to get right. It's expensive and it requires real expertise. I think a lot of people are trying it and failing. And what we're trying to do is provide application-specific AIs that designed for a business built to specific precise requirements by a team of experts and seeing that right through to deployment. And we're trying to do that for companies that, that are otherwise missing out. I think often AI is seen as this, this area for the, the big tech giants, you know, yeah, true. And, and it's not really accessible to the, the sort of medium enterprises. Getting there, but yeah. Yeah, sometimes when they will give it a go, it's too difficult. The results are poor and they go away thinking this AI thing is all hype. 
well, I know it's not hype. You know, we've got we've had first hand experience of that. So we're aiming to try and make it accessible and provide a service of AI creation that anybody can get involved in. And we we help by providing that experience. And we've done it many times for many different things. And we help mitigate the risk. So we will share the risk and share the profits too. So by that way, it, it just allows people to get involved and try something out in a way that, that wouldn't, have been, wouldn't have been accessible to them, teaming up with a Microsoft or a Google or an IBM. We're a small company, so we want to partner with others to produce these systems. So does that mean that you are, the solutions that you create are more custom rather than standard? Yes, we're aiming for very specific, narrow AI, so to speak. So we're not tackling things like speech recognition or self-driving cars or natural language processing, you know, uh-huh. these things that are the domain of the, uh, the big tech giants. We're doing things where we will partner with a company that's expert in some specific area. So they provide the domain expertise. We provide the AI expertise. We come together and we solve a very specific narrow problem. So we've got all sorts of different examples across all sorts of industries, and I'm sure we'll touch on a few of them maybe. Well, I mean, can you give one example? Uh, I mean, I, I see on your website, for example, that one of the areas that you're specializing in is in air travel, airports, and mm. you do a number of things there. Yes. Identify, yeah. predict, detect. That's right. Um, we got involved in the air industry quite early on through face recognition, which is one of our AIs that we, we provide. So we've trained deep neural networks to perform face recognition very accurately. So we do a lot of identity management in the air industry yeah. through the use of that, but also for other things. So predictive analytics is a key thing. We were challenged. So to give an example, Heathrow Airport, where we supply face recognition to monitor passengers moving through the airport in Heathrow. They challenged us to apply our AI technology to a difficult problem they'd had with predicting the occupancy of their car parks. And it's an important thing for an airport, you know, to know when their car parks are going to be full, they can just their signage and mitigate against an overflowing car park that can block up the system around the airport. And it's a funny problem they've been tackling for quite some time. And it's really tricky. You know, what affects it? Is it the weather? Uh-huh. Is it, you know, the flight schedule that day? Does it get particularly bad because of delays? Or is it about the destinations that, uh, you know, are on the schedule that day? Do certain destinations lead to greater people using that car park rather than yeah. the other one? So yeah. it's quite tricky. And then, of course, you've got the state of the M25, you know, <laughs> is that affecting the flow in and out? So it's a difficult problem. And they've been tackling it for a while. We applied our AI to it and managed to produce a system that really astonishingly accurate predictions of the number of cars that are going to be in the car park at any one time, based purely off the flight schedule for that day. Far more accurate than anything they'd achieved with more traditional mathematical modeling. And having achieved that challenge, they then said, right, now you can do the same for immigration. How many passengers are going to turn up? We managed to produce a system there where the AI could predict about three and a half times more accurately than three and uh, a half times more accurate. Yes, than the previous <laughs> best mathematical model they yeah. produced before. And that's really just a demonstration of how powerful deep learning is. We didn't really have to think about what it was we were trying to achieve. We just fed in the data. We have a very powerful AI platform that we've developed for this and it's, yeah. it's able to produce some extraordinary results. And those are the sort of things you, you get out. So now you've got this constant flowing prediction of 
how many people are going to turn up at the immigration desks at any one time. If a flight's delayed, it automatically adjusts. If there's something else that can affect it, it will automatically adjust and they get these early alerts as to do they need more more staff on in immigration at that time? Do yeah. they need to adjust the queues? I mean, that's just, just one example of the, the sort of things we we apply AI. Yeah, possibly you, get, you can even take that further. It's not about the number of people, but also about the, the risk of people coming in. I mean, yeah. I remember, for example, when I used to come to Schiphol a lot and, and walk by in the, in the baggage area, all the flights from Curacao were always sort of gated. Everybody was uh, having, going to have a discussion with the people yeah. from customs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is another area where people often are a bit scared of AI and, and the application yeah. of these sort of areas, and particularly with what does it mean for jobs and, and what the security person are doing. But sure. if you take the other area where we've done a lot with face recognition, that's used in airports to protect the border. And it's really about ensuring that the same person that gets issued with the boarding pass is the same person that gets on the plane. Yeah. And, and if, you, if you sort of think, well, don't we want a human in the loop to do that? Well, yes, you do. Absolutely, you need humans in the loop. But actually, what you want the AI to do is to deal with the 95% of mundane passengers that are going through. Yeah. Make sure they are the correct identity, both entering security and then getting onto the aircraft. Let the humans do what the humans do best, which is deal with the more tricky situations. True. Uh, you know, apply that, that knowledge which AI can't, can't do, you know, looking out for those, those other things. And really, that's what it's all about. It's allowing companies to automate these cog- slightly cognitive processes that humans would normally do, yep. then allow them to scale that up, remove 95% of the drudgery, and then allow the humans to... Um, do a far better job on the, one, the area where it really needs. I mean, it, exactly. it reminds me of conversation I had with Ryan Falkenberg, CEO of uh, Clever. And he also said, you know, humans are caught or kept in the role of a robot doing mm. all these things that they're not designed for, they're not, you know, created for. Yes. So that's where the, that's I call it augmentation scenarios by, you know, it becomes actually a team. <laughs> and you know, technology is taking over an element, but also helping the human then to perform a better job on the, on the cases where it's uh, yeah, where a human is best suited for. Yes. So that's, that's cool. So you have, I mean, yeah, that's what I understood then is then using the foundation, your platform to deal and solve all these individual problems for customers in a different way. That's it, yeah. We, we, we built this AI platform originally to tackle face recognition. I mean, that's, that's how the yep. company sort of started off. And after we'd done that and we got exceptional results with our face recognition, vast improvements, we'd built this AI platform and then we discovered we could apply it to other things very successfully. And it's uh, it's slowly evolved over time. Uh, Now we've got this system where we're able to train many, many thousands of different neural networks, optimizing them against a problem in a very efficient way to produce the best possible results. Interesting because, I mean, it's not unique that you do facial recognition. I mean, a lot of people have heard about it and have maybe even experienced it with the latest generation of phones. Yep. You were doing this, I mean, Aurora has already been in business since 20 years now, right? Yep, yep. Exactly. Yeah, our 20th anniversary just recently. Yeah, so yeah. It's, uh, we're, we're not a startup by any means. Exactly, we... so that is, that is unique about it, that you were really early to the game with those type of technologies, and as a consequence, a real expert in that respect. 
So talking about the way you de- develop your platform in order for it to be leveraged in all of those, those scenarios. So I'm always interested in sort of the, yeah, like what you did to make it stand out. Mm. To, well, to, to have, go back to the, the title of my book, to make it remarkable. Right. Well, I suppose really what, what's behind that is the kind of the story as to how we got there. And it, it, we didn't set off to do do exactly what, we, what we're doing now, so to speak. We originally, back in 98, it was set up as a face recognition company. Face recognition was just starting to come about yeah. as a useful technology. But the company was, was actually buying in third-party face recognition software and writing the applications around it. And unusually for the time, it was a face recognition company with customers. You know, that was, that was an unusual thing for a face recognition company back then. But what it meant was that we were able to get access to data and also get access to a real world experience, you know, of actually putting systems out there and experiencing all the nitty gritty problems that occur when you try and do something with you know, <laughs> real people in, in real environments. So what happened was we, we started off by identifying we, we were at risk in that buying in third-party face rec software was a key component to the business, and it wasn't ours. So I founded a group of machine learning experts, and we developed our own face recognition software. This wasn't using neural networks or deep learning. This was using more traditional machine learning mathematical techniques. I had previously tried to, in my PhD, I tried to use neural networks for face recognition, and they were awful. They were really bad. I was so disappointed because it was such a cool idea, you know, build an artificial brain, let it learn how to recognize faces. Our brains are good at doing that. So surely this method must must work, but it just didn't. So the better way of doing face recognition was through things like principal component analysis and eigenvectors. But anyway, so we, but, but we assembled a team and through sort of 45 man years of effort, we, we managed to build what was the world's most accurate face recognition. Mm-hmm. And in 20, 2014, I think it was, we, we achieved the number one position in a competition. It was called Labeled Faces in the Wild, a, a database run by the University of Massachusetts where you could test out your face recognition algorithms. We got the number one spot and we held that for a good few months. But then we got beaten by Chinese University of Hong Kong and we were beaten by quite a big margin. And it was, it was strange because we'd won the competition by a tiny fraction of a percent when we got the number one spot. And if you looked at the top 10, there was a tenth of a percent between the different systems. Yeah, yeah. But then all of a sudden, when the Chinese University of Hong Kong got the number one position, it was by a bigger margin. And then they were beaten within weeks. And then they were beaten again. And another company came along by the name of Facebook, beat them. And all of a sudden, there was this really rapid improvement in accuracy and face recognition. When we looked at what that was, it was this thing called deep learning. And all of a sudden, I realized, you know, these neural networks that I tried to use all those years ago in my PhD, which were terrible, all of a sudden, it was working. And at that point, we realized we needed to take that on if we were to stay in the game for face recognition. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you can't compete that. No, exactly. And this hardly ever happens. You know, you never see, see this. I mean, our number one spot, I think we've got about 93% or something accuracy. Yeah. Now it's 99.98, you know, and it had shot up 
just so quickly with all these companies that were taking on deep learning. So yeah. that's when we built our AI platform. And it was, we spent some time, you know, we, we'd already got some expertise in neural networks because it was machine learning, but we built this AI platform. And within about five weeks, we'd reduced the error rate of our face recognition system by 64% in just five weeks. And that was a system that had taken, as I said, 45 man years of effort. So it was a really emotional time for the team, <laughs> you know, just seeing our life's work obliterated by an AI in such a short period of time. And we'd come up with a system that could try lots of different neural networks. We had to come up with a uh, naming convention to name them because we started to get all these different neural network architectures popping out. So we chose C creatures. So, you know, every time a new type of neural network came about, it was given a C creature name. And the one that beat our face recognition system was the prawn. We thought our life's work has just been beaten in five weeks by a prawn. (laughs) But when we saw that, we said, well, hold on. Let's try applying this to something we've never tried before, something we know nothing about. And we did it with cancer cell detection. There was a competition that had been run by ICPR, International Conference Pattern Recognition, quite a prestigious journal, and they'd run a competition. It had already been completed. We didn't take part in the competition, but there was a leaderboard of who'd won for the best cancer cell detection. And we applied our AI platform to that. We managed to get results that beat the person that had won the competition. And at that stage, we suddenly realized, you know, we knew nothing about cancer cell detection. We just fed in the data and had a world-class system and it took almost no effort. My researchers would probably give me a, give me a kick for saying that. <laughs> of course, there was a, a lot of effort. But to achieve something at that high level with yeah. what is a, a fairly automated AI platform, that was the point at which we realized, okay, we've got something really special here. And we adapted it so it could be applied to lots of different data modalities, be it images, yeah. sound files, time series data, database records. And at that point, we knew we had something that could be applied pretty generically to any type of problem. Let me make a small interruption here. Dom just explained the evolutionary steps and choices he had to go through to arrive at a solution that had all the right ingredients to create new value possibilities at scale. He arrived there by stepping away from what they thought they were all about, facial recognition, and then applied the value of solution to other domains that were more narrow and less crowded. This is a trait that defines remarkable software businesses. They aim to be different, not just better. And they master delivering new value possibilities exceptionally well, rather than making existing solutions incrementally better. You can also master these traits, and with that become a software business that your customers keep talking about. There are two ways to start. Firstly, simply read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, do the test and see how your business ranks on a five-star scale today. Go to valueinspiration.com slash remarkableindex. Back to the interview. And that's what we've done since, really. We've teamed up with a lot of different companies in a lot of different areas, and we've applied it to threat detection and document processing, audio processing, fraud detection. And each time, the AI produces exceptional results, usually better than a human can do. And of course, at scale and it doesn't get tired and doesn't get make mistakes on a Monday, (laughs) you know, or it's really exceptional technology. 
But I think what makes it special for us is this, we've proven it with face recognition, but then we adapted it to become a highly automated generic system that could just take data, produce an AI and deploy it really quickly. Yeah, that's fascinating, especially, of course, with your example around cancer cell detection that you didn't have any affinity with and then still beating the number one on the list. It's, yeah, it's crazy. The question at the end is where this can go. I mean, as they, they typically say, it's the tip of the iceberg we see. It's just about kind of yeah. seeing now where you can apply these techniques in order to take what we have come so used to to the next level. Yeah, well, I think there's a whole section of business at the moment that's missing out. Say it's a, AI experts are difficult to come across. They tend to get swallowed up by a lot of the big tech giants. And it means that creating an AI team that can develop these sort of systems for a business is really challenging. And if you try and engage with, with some of the really big players, a lot of companies haven't got half a million to pump into a project like that to, to risk no, that sure. sort of exposure. And often the you'd be at a, at a level where you're not very important to those big players. Whereas what we try and do is we try and provide a small team where you know it's a real partnership, a domain expert and an AI expert coming together to create something exceptional. So I think... That that's the trick, yeah, right? Yeah, you, you mentioned it a couple of times already, like the technologies and the, and the domain experts. It's almost like the user and the, and the vendor. That's it. Yes, it is. It's exactly like that. And as the example I said with the, the cancer cell detection, you know, we, we knew nothing about it. Domain expert in that instance was the, the competition who had the data. They prepared yeah. the data. There was yeah. lots of images of cancer cells labeled up already and lots labeled as benign. And that's all we needed. But it, it's that coming together of two different disciplines that really helped produce something exceptional. And that healthcare now has become a really big area for us because what, what happened, uh, and I think this is where AI is going to have one of the biggest impacts is in healthcare. We've got a, a relationship with a, a company called Vision RT for some years. Sorry, it's on your website, yeah. Yeah, and the Vision RT, they're a company based in London, a really innovative, sort of forward-thinking company. And they provide systems to help ensure patient safety during radiotherapy. So they, they apply computer vision to monitor a patient's movement during radiotherapy. And we, we'd been working with them on a project a couple of years ago to, again, to, to ensure patient safety through identity management. You know, you, if you're having radiotherapy, you don't want to be irradiated in the wrong place. You know, you want to make sure you're getting the treatment for you. And we were applying face recognition and AI to ensure that the correct patient is getting the correct treatment. And that alongside uh, the application of AI to a lot of different areas of using for planning and applying radiotherapy treatments is letting the healthcare professionals do the job that healthcare professionals should really be doing. Yep. So not asking you to repeat your name and your date of birth and can you confirm exactly. the first line of address yep. 50 times a day true. every time you go back in for the next piece of treatment and well vision rt were so pleased with uh, what we were able to provide for them that they actually acquired the company so all of a sudden we found ourselves in a position where we're now part of this much larger organization yeah, yeah. they they kept us as a separate entity so we're we're still our own company but we're now heavily into healthcare and i can see this as being one of the areas where ai is going to 
allow diagnostics on a scale that you just can't achieve if it's a human doing it. Well, what typically, of course, is important here is like it's almost like yeah, it's saving lives because at the end you need the experts to look at to give your case thought and attention, and their schedule is just full, and now you can scale it up. I mean, that's what, that would be one of the use cases I could see. That's it, and again, just like with the security in the airports and the, the threat detection, it's not getting tired. You know, it's yeah. it's not making more mistakes at the end of the week than it did at the start. Likely less. It, <laughs> exactly. And again, as we're finding more and more with all of the AIs we deploy, they, they don't replace the human. They allow the human to do a better job by focusing on the tricky cases, the borderline cases, you know, and focus on the patient care, giving the patient a better experience, not having to do the drudgery of looking after image after image after image of histopathology, you know, slides and all the rest of it. So that's a huge area. But I see lots of these different little narrow AI problems that if you can bring those two skill sets together, the domain experts and the AI experts, you can automate that process, scale it up, improve the accuracy, and then allow the humans to do a really fantastic job on the fringe cases. Well, that's exactly why I started this podcast in the first place, to share those stories about what yeah, value we can unlock when the technology and people blend in the right way. Mm-hmm. So talking about I mean, getting this to market, what is the typical reaction when people see the effect of this? Because I've, heard, I've had a couple of people on my podcast where people were actually in disbelief, okay, you know, getting resistance out there, that this could be, couldn't be possible, it's a threat, it's like those type of arguments that we just discussed. And others, of course, they take it with both hands and say, can I get more of this? So what is your experience and what have you learned selling this? Well, there's a few challenges. One of them is access to data. And we found that to be a blocker quite often. All AI needs data to be able to train and, and, and learn to do what it is going to do. So that's a key thing to address right at the start. We've had a lot of approaches from people that with, with a great idea of what an AI could do. And they say, right, have you got the information that we can feed it to learn to do that? Well, no. Sometimes we can then help to collect that data, you know, and put systems in place to to allow that to be collected. But often that can be difficult. GDPR concerns, you know, how do you, if it involves personal information, can you anonymize it sufficiently and make sure that you're treating individuals' information with the respect and not misusing it? So those are really key concerns. The other thing is getting it deployed quickly. The AI and deep learning is still very much evolving. It's still somewhere between state-of-the-art and, and cutting-edge, bleeding-edge almost. And a lot of the systems, if you look at things like TensorFlow and PyTorch and these sort of experimental AI platforms, They're all set up really to run in virtual environments or run in the cloud, but it's much harder to deploy it to an edge device, for instance, or get it into a low-powered device. So that's another challenge. And I think that's where Aurora really stood out to be able to do that, because what we do is we, in this AI platform we produce, and we had to do this because of face recognition right from the beginning, our AI platform had to produce a neural network that we could take straight away and just drop into a ready-made SDK and deploy to any device, a low-powered PC or the cloud or a laptop 
you know, or a central server. And what we've done is we've smoothed out that process. So literally within minutes of producing a new AI, it can be used on a PC. There's no having to, you know, set up a big environment in a cloud to be able to run that and get GPUs uh-huh. accessible through that device. If you look at, um, we've just done a project for a company called Mobotics, which produces thermal cameras. And as you can imagine, there's a big demand for thermal cameras at the moment to be able to measure temperature. And one of the challenges is certainly if you're going to automate that, you know, and be able to measure temperature accurately, the best way to measure core body temperature is to do it from the inner canthus, you know, not from skin surface, but around the tear ducts gives you a good reading of core temperature. So they wanted a system that would be able to automate that temperature reading. They're the camera experts, the thermal camera experts. They've got a fantastic platform that's able to you know, run a certain amount of processing on the camera. We had the AI capability, so we partnered up with Mobotics and we trained an AI that's able to do this and deploy it. And, you know, software projects, fairly simple software projects, normally take yep. months. And we've done this in, in a you know, period measured in weeks. It's straight out into, into deployment very, very quickly. And that's another real example of two teams of experts. We couldn't have yep. done it by ourselves. They couldn't have done it by themselves. But you bring the two together, you get them working together, and yep. suddenly you True. can produce something truly exceptional really quickly. And you need that. Mobotics have already got access to the market. They're already deploying the thermal cameras. There you go. And then you package an AI alongside it, and you've got got a system that's very, very effective. Yeah. It reminds me of my first podcast, actually, back in 2018 with Maurizio Vecchione. And he was talking about catalytic invention. And he was talking about the three A's, accessibility, applicability, and affordability. And if you get these three right... That's where, well, things really scale. And I mean, you really have a case here for, well, you you really, with your point about deploying it on devices and edge devices, with, for example, accessibility, because a lot of the the technology out there is fantastically sophisticated. But as you say, the moment you don't have access to the internet, it doesn't work. Yes, (laughs) exactly. I think that's something that's missed. The cloud is a really important piece of technology, but it's not suitable in all application areas and there seems to have been a focus on the cloud particularly for ai but if you look at heathrow airport one of our biggest customers they're not going to run this in the cloud you know with the airport security they need it exactly yeah it's running on the pcs within the terminal at the checkpoints for the passengers so you need an ai that can just go and run on those machines true otherwise though i mean we've got we've got a big customer that does a, a lot of online activity not allowed to mention who they are, but they, they have a lot of customers online and they've got a particular interest in detecting fraud. Now, that is a system that is perfect for running in the cloud. And we developed an AI for them that's able to monitor their customers' behavior, their online actions, and detect if they are likely to be a fraudster before the damage has actually happened. And then, the, yeah. and then that person's account can be disabled. Now, that should run in the cloud. It's an obvious application to make use of that technology. But others need to run on mobile phones. It's the use case again. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so so that accessibility has got to be addressed for all those different points. There's no point having all this capability and saying, well, it has to run the cloud or it has to run on PC or it has to run on the phone. You've got to be able to run on all of those devices. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. 
and specifically you want to have if you want to have all those touch points and particularly now with iot and all of those devices that are being installed particularly also around an airport wow. i mean it's impossible to do it like that or to do it in a different way so yeah i mean i wrote my book about the remarkable effect and you've been a ceo of this company now for a couple of years it's interesting uh, you just mentioned that one of your customers you're not allowed to talk about them and they won't talk about you but i mean the whole thing of course why i wrote the book is is to create solutions that people talk about is are worth making a remark <laughs> <Yeah>. about <laughs> so yes. sometimes it can work antiviral and st- i mean you do fantastic things and still that that last piece won't happen but what do you believe is a key trait that you need to have as a company in order to do something remarkable and to and to stay in that game i suppose the most important thing is to is to listen <laughs> listen to the customer i think quite often and particularly with ai people fail to really understand what it is that, that a customer is going to want you know and to accept that they are the experts in the area that they work and again with a lot of the big tech giants we see this is a problem a lot, a lot of our, our customers have often tried other big platforms you know they that are out there the big well known ones and and then come away disappointed because actually they're not engaging with someone on a level where they're really understanding the problem and that's what we do quite differently for any of our ai projects it's not there's a platform go ahead and use it and you know success or failure is down to you we manage all of our projects with ai experts that listen to the customer understand exactly what it is that they're trying to achieve and then of course it's about understanding the data they have available their rights to use that data and then take that on board to produce the ai so i think that's really the key thing is understanding the customer and listening to them but i think probably the other aspect just from a you know a more wider look at the business as a whole is that you've got to have all of the pieces of the puzzle it's no good having just a couple of the pieces and being really really good at one aspect you've got to have all the elements in place so whether you know i see so many that that have failed because they've had a, a really fantastic product but they haven't got the fantastic marketing <laughs> to allow people to hear about it or maybe they've got an excellent expert team but they haven't got the organizational uh, project management skills in order to yeah. focus that team effectively you might have vast amounts terabytes of data but if you haven't got the team to understand and interpret that data it's useless so you have to have everything in place you have to have a fantastic team a really good product exceptional marketing you've got to have the data available to train the ai every one of those all needs to be in place and if any yeah. one of those items is missing then it's not going to succeed yeah that's why my book is also uh, <laughs> that's why my book is also not not 15 pages thick but 283 pages thick and it talks about 10 traits rather than just one so it's, mm. but i agree with you i mean it's a combination of a number of forces that play together and if you stack them up together then it can come a long way so what have you been most proud of achieving so far with your technology what is for example an anecdote that you keep talking about oh most proud of i suppose probably because of the biggest use of the system is the border control in heathrow for departing passengers so that an extremely challenging problem heathrow's the biggest was the busiest airport i think it's holds maybe second place now for the busiest airport in in the world but they have 10 million or thereabouts domestic passengers going through and to be able to 
process at that sort of scale, recognizing all of those people completely seamlessly and contact free as they move through the airport and get onto the aircraft. And, you know, when I'm traveling for business or going on holiday, I go through the system myself. And I always take a moment to just stand aside and just watch hundreds of people flowing through that so quickly, effortlessly, and to think about what's actually going on there behind the scenes. You know, there's a neural network, a little artificial brain sat there. Those neurons are firing as the faces are presented. It recognizes them. The gates swing open. But it's so so seamless and effortless for the passengers. So that's probably the system I I think most proud of for the scale. But then the other, if I'm allowed to, I think perhaps the other one, and this is still up and coming, is, is in the healthcare market because with the application of AI to radiotherapy, you know, this is saving lives and it's, it's making the experience for people that are in a very, very troubling time, making the experience better and safer and you know, increasing the, sort of the, the level of trust and confidence for them in the system. Yeah, relieving the healthcare professionals to allow them to do do their best and, and care for people by removing that sort of the drudgery of the elements that, that are best handed over to an AI. So on an emotional level, seeing the benefit that that actually brings is really inspiring. Yeah. It is inspiring. And that's what gets you up in the morning, I would say. So, I mean, I really like your examples and I'm, I'm sure you can add five more, but that's the interesting part of the, of the business we're in. So from all the, the lessons that you've learned, the tidbits of wisdom, if you would have to give advice to, to a peer CEO that aspires to do something big and meaningful as well, what would it be? What advice? Well, I think it would probably be to aim high. Really shoot high. Don't, don't be afraid of thinking big. We're a small company. You know, we're, we're only 20 people thereabouts. And we've always found ourselves competing against some really big players. And winning, yeah. though, I think that it's it's often really daunting, you know, when you particularly when you're you're starting out and you're in an environment where there's a lot of very big names and successful people. But if you've got an idea and you aim high and you you surround yourself by really good people, and that that's it, that's the other key thing. I mean, it's you can't do it all by yourself. You need to get. get the very very best people around you you need excellent mentors you know you need really hard workers exceptionally gifted individuals and gather them all together aim really high and put the effort in and don't be afraid then of adapting and changing what you're doing as time goes on so again we started off as a face recognition company in the pursuit of being the best in the world of that discovered something else and then changed direction and you know and now face recognition is just one product it's still one of our biggest yeah. products, by all means. But we didn't aim out to be an AI provider. We were aiming out to be a, a face recognition company. But we've ended up in a different position because we weren't afraid to, to sort of broaden our scope and aim really high. And we've achieved that. Well, it starts at the end like that you're out, set yourself a stretch goal in terms of the problem you try to solve. And at some point, maybe face recognition was the most obvious route to that. But it has changed over time. So, I mean, the moment you say, I'm a face recognition company, then you then you lock yourself in. And I mean, if That's you right. get, like you were saying in the beginning, if you get to 99.8% accuracy, what's the gain then, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
That's and it. it's like it's it's done. Yeah, but that takes courage, you know. It's it's yeah, difficult. It's the right to, word. Yeah, because you know, going into the unknown is hard, and particularly if you've been involved in a specific area for a long period of time, you feel comfortable in that area. You know it. It's a comfortable area to continue in. But I think if you're working in high tech, state of the art, constantly evolving arenas like that, then you need to not be afraid to just step into the unknown and, and try and aim for something a bit different, adapt to what you're good at and follow the right signs, you know. So when we just with the cancer cell detection, which is our first little try something else, we knew nothing about it. We gave it a go and then said, well, actually, we've got something special. So we're going to apply this to anything and everything. See what it has done for you. Exactly. So that maybe came, yeah, as a gift from heaven almost. So yeah, where can people go to find out more about your company, Aurora AI, and where can they best connect with you? Well, our website is the best place to see a lot of what we do. So that's aurora-ai.com. And to connect directly with me, I think probably LinkedIn is the best place. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. And if you send me a message that isn't a a generic marketing (laughs) distributed message, then I do respond and we can hook up on there quite happily. Okay, perfect. Well, Tom, thank you very much for for your time today. And the wisdom that you shared and and the anecdotes about the company and the journey that it's been going through. I think there are a couple of very big lessons to learn from this, and that's why I'm doing this in the first place, to share that knowledge at the end with other tech entrepreneurs and to also show the other part of the audience about what's possible with technology, to well, inspire them a little bit you. about what can be. It's great talking with you, Tom. Um, thank you for the opportunity of sharing our story. It's been great fun. It was a pleasure on my side as well. And this ends my conversation with Tom. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Dr. Tom Hesseltine, CEO of Aurora AI. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, Share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. questions we've got answers business leadership ownership and sales can be challenging tune into the accelerate your business growth podcast to learn from the world's experts join me your host diane helbig as i chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business you'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas tips and suggestions 
you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.